Well, you guys can turn to Luke chapter 2. It's great to be with you this morning as we continue our preparation for Advent, for the arrival of Jesus. I I personally, I have a lot to look forward to this Christmas. I'm actually really quite excited. My brother, I'll see him for the first time in over a year. He's coming home from Africa, so really happy to see him. I'm excited because rumor has it that Santa is getting me a new cordless impact wrench, which for me is my love language. I love tools. Really excited about that. And I'm really excited because the new Star Wars movie is out. And I love everything Star Wars with the exception of Jar Jar Binks. I love it all. And so I'm really excited to see Rogue One at some point this week. My kids are sick today, so it's not going to happen today. But sometime soon, I'm going to see it. But I got to admit, I was a little surprised when I watched the trailer for the movie and I saw that they had cast Forrest Whitaker in this really small supporting role. Did you know this guy won an Oscar? He's like one of the most gifted actors of our generation. You put him in a little bit part. It's like when they cast Samuel L. Jackson as just another Jedi in the prequel. One simply does not cast Samuel L. Jackson in a bit part. He's a huge actor. It's crazy to see them cast this incredible talent in supporting roles. And yet that is exactly what God did on that first Christmas night. God cast creatures far greater than either of these men, angelic creatures full of beauty and power and wisdom in a supporting role. So let's think for a moment about what we know about angels. We don't actually know a lot. The Bible isn't about them, but it does give us some clues. There's a few things that the Bible tells us about angels. It tells us that angels are created beings. They're not gods. They're made by God. It tells us in the book of Psalm, chapter 148, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. So angels are created beings just like us. But that's where the similarities end because beyond just being created, the Bible tells us that angels are immortal. They do not die. Luke chapter 20, they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels. Angels don't age. They do not die. We don't know when God created them. We just know it was before Genesis 3 because Satan, a fallen angel, shows up in the garden. They do not reproduce, so they were all created at some point in the far distant past. So angels are immortal, ancient creatures. We don't know how old, but thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of years old. Angels are immortal. Angels are powerful. We're told in the book of Second Chronicles, the Lord sent an angel, like one angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. And when that passage was written, the Assyrian army was the most powerful army on earth, and yet they were all wiped out by just one angel. Angels are so powerful that to us, to humans, they are invincible. There is no weapon fashioned by humans that could stop even a single angelic being. They are incredibly powerful, more powerful than we can imagine. So they're immortal, they're powerful, and they're beautiful. Angels are phenomenally beautiful creatures. Actually, that's true even of fallen angels, even of demons. We're told a little bit about Satan, a fallen angel. In the book of Ezekiel, 
God tells us that you, that is Satan, had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond. So angels are incredibly beautiful creatures. They are like covered in, in, in gemstones when they show up in the Bible, which isn't very often, but occasionally when they do show up, they're described as flaming fire or the light of stars. When humans see angels, they're so gloriously beautiful that usually those humans either fall down in fear or they kneel down in worship. That happens often in the book of Revelation. The apostle John keeps kneeling and worshiping angels and they have to keep stopping him. Stop it, John. We're just angels. Please stand back up. They're just overwhelmingly beautiful. So angels are immortal, they're powerful, they're beautiful, and finally they are righteous. We're told in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Angels always obey God. Now, as best as we can tell, we we don't know a lot, it's kind of shrouded in mystery. At some point in the far distant past, all angels faced one choice, one defining moment of choice, either to worship and serve God or worship and serve themselves. Angels chose God, demons chose themselves and became demons, which they still are today. But the angels passed that one test, that one moment of decision. They chose to worship and serve God. And from that moment into eternity, they remain perfect. They remain righteous. They are not tempted by sin like we are. They never do anything wrong like we do. So angels, they're they're these created beings, but unlike us, they are immortal, they are powerful, they are beautiful, they are righteous. In other words, angels are better than us in every measurable way. Angels are the superheroes of the biblical story. They're the, the Superman, the Wonder Woman, the Thor of God's story. They're better than us in every conceivable way. And yet the shocking thing is angels are always cast in a supporting role in the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, angels are never at the center. They are never the lead. They are never the focus. They are never the main event. They are always supporting cast in the story God is telling. Why is that? Why would God create a whole species of powerful, immortal, beautiful, supernatural creatures just to play a supporting role in his story? Well, God has a reason. Actually, he has three reasons. God created these glorious, beautiful, powerful, immortal beings and relegated them to a supporting role to reveal three things to us. First of all, the greatness of his son. Second, the beauty of his gospel. And third, the importance of his people. So we're going to look at each of those three truths that the beauty of angels reveals to us. So let's start with the first one. Angels reveal to us the greatness of God's son. And that's really our passage this morning. We're looking again at the Advent passage in Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 8. We're told that in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. God is a really good director. He he sets up the scene in in a very specific way. It's night. And in the ancient world, in a field with a bunch of sheep, it would have been pitch black. There, There were no artificial lights in that time period. And so it's, it's pitch black and all of a sudden a million megawatt bulb goes off as one angel shows up. And that one angel alone is so glorious that the shepherds cower before it in fear. And remember, in the ancient world, shepherds were not weaklings. Shepherds were, were powerful guys. They fought wild beasts and thieves on their own. There were no police, no military out there to protect them. Shepherds were your frontiersmen. They were, they were strong. They were self-sufficient. And yet these strong men cower in fear before one angel. Imagine how they feel at the end of the passage when a multitude, a whole army of angels shows up. But what's remarkable to me in this story is that the angels, think about the part they play in this story in Luke chapter two. The angels are just a glorified billboard. That's all they are in this story. They show up for about one minute. Was that how long I was reading? About one minute. They say a couple lines and then they're gone. They vanish. No more. They're gone. These incredibly powerful beings that are beautiful and glorious, more beautiful and more glorious than anything we can imagine. They have a tiny little supporting role. They show up for a minute and then boom, they're gone. They're nothing more than a glorified billboard pointing us to what? To Jesus. As great as they are, they are only in the story to point us to the one who is greater. Same thing happens at the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. We're told that there is a day when all of the angels appear in heaven and sing the praises of God's son. And in Greek, it literally tells us that there are more than a hundred million angels surrounding Jesus, celebrating him, singing about his greatness to the universe. And, and when I look at that, all these angels, they're not the center. Jesus is the center. They're not the focus. Jesus is the focus. All they're doing is talking about how great Jesus is. When I read about the angels in Luke 2, and Revelation 5, the idea that comes to my mind, and I know this word has negative connotations, but the idea that comes to my mind is that angels are like Jesus's entourage. You know what an entourage is? Like those, those followers who keep following some movie star, riding on his coattails. Well, think about how an entourage works. The greater the entourage, the greater the star. So if you're a movie star and you've got an entourage of like three of your childhood friends, you're you're kind of like a B-rating star. If you have an entourage of 50 and they're professionals, you got cooks, you got security guards, drivers, personal assistants, well, you're an A-lister there. That's a pretty big entourage. Jesus has over 100 million supernatural beings at his beck and call. Greatest entourage in the history of entourages. It's huge because he's huge, because he's glorious, he's great. Okay, think about an entourage again. The entourage is never the center of attention. It's always about the star. In fact, the entourage is there to make him look good. So it is with Jesus. The angels are there to make Jesus look good. They are never the focus of attention. 
They're always pointing others to the greatness of Jesus. Third, think about an entourage again. An entourage is only there because of the star. Without him, they would not exist. So it is with Jesus. He literally created the angels. They owe their existence to him because, they, because he made them. Just as the artist is always greater than his art, so Jesus is greater than the angels because he made all of them. He is their God just like he is our God. And so God created angels to be beautiful and powerful and immortal and ancient. You, you want to see their greatness so that you can picture how much greater Jesus is. God created them great so that you would worship the one who is greater, who made them. The beauty of the angels is designed to show you the surpassing beauty of the Son of God. So angels designed great by God and cast in a supporting role so that we would see how much greater the center of the story, Jesus, really is. Okay, so that's the first thing that angels reveal to us. The second thing they reveal to us is the beauty of God's gospel. It tells us in the book of 1 Peter, concerning this salvation... The prophets who predicted the grace that would come to you searched and investigated carefully. They were shown that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to the things now announced to you through those who proclaimed the gospel to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things angels long to catch a glimpse of. Really short little line there. Not even half a verse. Things angels long to catch a glimpse of. In the NASB, it says things into which angels long to look. The gospel, this good news that we preach every Sunday, that if you're honest with yourself, you maybe are getting tired of hearing week after week, that Jesus, God's son, died for our sins and rose from the dead so we could have eternal life as a free gift. We say it over and over and over again. This passage is saying that angels can't stop staring at it. They just want to catch a glimpse of it. 15 years ago, I got to go hike the Maroon Bells area of Colorado. And so for miles, my brother and I hiked through just endless fields of wildflowers along crystal clear rivers next to waterfalls. Um, We saw these beautiful granite peaks. And at night, I saw the Milky Way clearer than I ever have before. And this picture is junk. It can't even come close to capturing the magnificence of that night sky. But I was only there for three days and I've never been back and it haunts me because that is the most beautiful place on earth I have ever seen. I see it at night when I close my eyes in my dream. I just want to go back there because three days isn't enough. I long to go explore every alpine lake and see every waterfall and walk through every field. I just want to get back there because it is so just absolutely transcendently beautiful. That is how the angels look at the gospel. To them, it is the most beautiful thing they have ever seen. No angel has ever heard anything more stunningly beautiful than the gospel we preach every week. To them, it is the most stunning, most beautiful thing they have ever heard. I, I, I like to think of it when the, when the gospel is being spoken. So, so here on a Sunday morning, are you speaking the gospel to a friend of yours? Maybe you're saying it and you're kind of stumbling through the words and maybe your friend is bored and not really paying attention. You realize whatever angels are within hearing distance of what you're saying, they're staring at it like a child seeing his first fireworks display. Just, just can't get enough. Oh my gosh, she's going to tell it again. 
Please let me listen to it. I want to hear it from a new angle. I want to hear a new person say it. They just can't get enough of it. But here's the ironic part. Angels can't get enough of the gospel, and yet it's not for them. It's for us. Angels don't need salvation. Angels are sinless. They're never tempted. They don't need eternal life. They already have it. Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for us. And yet we are so often bored by this message that they simply can't get enough of. Angels are in the right. They are fascinated by the gospel because angels can see better than we can. They can see just how shocking it is that the creator would die for his creation. They can see better than we can how shocking it is that the righteous king would die for his sinful people. They see better than we do how shocking it is that something as precious as eternal life would be given away for free. They see how amazing that is and they just can't stop staring at it. This good news that we preach, you realize it's good news that no other religion has. No other religion ever proclaimed that God died for his people so that he could give us life for free. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do good works. You don't have to obey God to be saved. It's an absolutely free gift that is so incredibly stunning to angels that they want to spend eternity gaping at it. The beauty of angels is designed to show us the surpassing beauty of the gospel. If there's anything in your mind that's keeping you back from from embracing that good news, maybe you've heard once again, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so you could have eternal life and you just can't get there. It's just too hard to believe in Jesus or resurrection or salvation being for free. That sounds crazy. I would encourage you, please come talk to me or, or talk to Brad or Zach or somebody here. We would love to help you see how beautifully free the gospel is so beautifully free that more than hundreds of millions of angelic beings will be staring at it dumbfounded for all eternity. Angels are designed to show us the beauty of God's gospel. Third, angels are designed to show us the importance of God's people. That's you and that's me. God designed angels beautiful, powerful, majestic to show us how much we matter to him. We're told in the book of Hebrews, really short little line, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, and they, that is angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's you. God designed angels to serve you. Now that's, that's crazy because in our world, it's the opposite. In our world, it is always the weak who serve the strong. It's the poor who serve the rich. So billionaires and celebrities have whole armies of servants taking care of their every need. That's how our world works. God's kingdom is the exact opposite. God loves to turn things around. In God's kingdom, it is the strong who serve the weak. In God's kingdom, it is the rich who serve the poor. And so God created these amazing, beautiful, powerful, supernatural beings to serve us who are weak and foolish and mortal. He made them to serve us. And how do they serve us? Well, I don't know. 
The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details. We're told in the book of Daniel that angels are protecting God's people from demonic influence. We're we're told these stories about angels and demons battling over groups of people. So it would seem that angels are protecting us from demons. It it seems from this passage here in Hebrews 1 that angels are, are ministering to us. Somehow they're meeting our spiritual needs. They're sent by God to take care of us. Again, we don't have a lot of details. What we see from scripture is that God designed these powerful creatures with the express intent of caring for you. Because that's how God loves you. That's how much God loves you. He created countless angelic beings to take care of your every need, to serve you day in and day out forever. We're told in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, an even shorter line, do you not know that we, that is believers, will judge angels? Just a, a little hint. And then boom, it passed. nothing else said about this anywhere. It's staggering if you think about it. God designed you as weak as you are, as foolish as you are, as fallible as you are, as susceptible to disease and death as you are, to rule over angels. Even though you realize angels really deserve to rule over us. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. We're not that great. Angels are incredible. They deserve to be our rulers, but God loves to flip it around. God designed you to rule at the side of Jesus over everything forever. You will rule over angels, not because you're worthy, but because you're loved by a God who loves to hit a home run with a crooked stick. God loves to do that. God loves you in your weakness and your foolishness and your limitations and your mortality. He loves that about you because he uses that to show his greatness and to show how much he loves you. We're told in the book of Psalm chapter eight, this amazing passage that King David wrote as he was reflecting on this truth, this reality. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All things are under your feet. All the angels are under your feet. God has crowned you with glory and honor even if you can't yet see it. It's there. You will see it. One day you will be with Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, and at the side of the sun, you will rule over everything. Again, not because you're worthy, but because you're loved by a God who loves to hit home runs with crooked sticks. He designed you to be used to rule over everything. So let's draw some application from this. What does this mean for us as we continue preparing for Christmas? Well, you're going to see a lot of angels over the next week. You're going to see angel ornaments and images and decorations on your tree, other people's trees and manger scenes and displays out in the yard. What I want you to remember as you see all of these images and angel decorations is that angels are not just decorations. Angels are a reminder to you from God that you matter. 
When you see an angel image or an angel decoration, I want you to pause for a moment and remember, that is God reminding me that I matter more than I can imagine. Because God created real angels, not little decorations. He created hundreds of millions of real angels to serve us. He didn't create us to serve them. He chose us to rule over them not them to rule over us. And his son died for us, not for them. The beauty and magnificence of angels is designed to prove to you that you actually matter to God because he chose you to rule. He chose you to be served. He chose you to receive the gift of salvation. Angels are a reminder to us that we matter to God. So I would encourage you to remember that and reflect on that truth when you see images and decorations of angels. I would encourage you to teach your kids that. So as you go through this Christmas season and your kids see angels, don't just tell them what angels are or read the story. Help your kids understand why it matters. Why did God create these beautiful, splendid, powerful creatures? Guess what? It was to serve you. Little four-year-old kid. God loves you so much. He created a whole species of supernatural creatures just to protect you, just to serve you. And you know what, little four-year-old? You're going to rule them. You are going to rule over them for all eternity, not because you're worthy of it, because you're loved by a God who wants to hit home runs with crooked sticks. So help your kids to see that. Help your kids to see, I'm, I'm sure your hearts are warmed by this too, when celebrities go to visit sick kids in the hospital. It's really, it's beautiful when they take all of their fame, all of their entourage, in to visit some sick kid with cancer. It's, it's a wonderful, heartwarming thing. I want our kids to know though, that there are creatures far greater than Chris Pratt or Taylor Swift watching over them right now. I don't know, you know, where are angels? I I don't know. You can't see them. Can't really see what they do. I just know there are hundreds of millions of them at a minimum. So they're spread out all over earth, which means your kids are being watched over by God's angels right now. Why? Because God loves your kids more than you do. Angels are a reminder to us, a proof to us, a lesson to us that Jesus is greater than we can imagine, that the gospel is more beautiful than we can imagine, and that we are more important to God than we ever hoped we would be. So this Christmas season, as you prepare your heart to celebrate Christmas, I would encourage you to talk about angels, use angels in decoration. That's a very godly thing. Talk with your kids about it. Use this week as a reminder that this powerful, beautiful, immortal species of supernatural creatures were designed by God just to prove to you that you matter. You matter in the storyline of God because the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's not about angels. It's about Jesus, it's about the gospel, and it's about us. We are at the center, not because we're worthy, but because we're loved. Let that be the focus this Christmas as you think about angels. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the kind of God who would design and create countless, supernatural, powerful, beautiful, immortal beings just to serve us. We don't deserve that. We never will deserve that. They are greater than us in every measurable way, and yet you chose us. You made us in your own image and you sent your son to die for us, not for them, but for us. 
We praise you for that, Lord, and and we pray that you would help us as we think about angels to see how much we matter to you, not because we're worthy, but because we're loved. We pray, Heavenly Father, for this world, going about all of its business, preparing for Christmas. We pray, God, that you would help them to see how much they matter to you. I pray for the men and women of this planet who don't yet know Jesus. They don't have hope in him. They think that their value is found in in their looks or their wealth or their performance or their connections. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would set them free from that deception, that you would help them to come to see how loved they are by you. We pray, God, that you would open their eyes to see that because Because of you, they matter. I pray, God, that this Christmas you would save countless millions, that they would come to know your son, Jesus, that they would see how much you love them, that they would find hope in you. We praise you and we thank you for the gift of your son. We praise you and we thank you for the gift of angels who show us how great your son is, how beautiful your gospel is, and how much we matter to you. Thank you that you are a God of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. See you on Christmas Eve.